You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Auto D show here on Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks, broadcasting from high above Camelback Road in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, and tonight my guest is Brooklyn-born guitarist, singer, songwriter, Raymond Castronovo. Now, I met Raymond at a concert in Smithtown, New York, earlier this year, and after a short chat, I thought, you know, maybe we should continue this conversation on my podcast. So I invited him to be my guest, and he accepted, which is pretty cool. So uh, before I bring Raymond on the show, I'd like to share one of his songs with you. And this tune which is called Pittsburgh, off of uh, his recent record, um, kind of epitomizes his modern take on a nostalgic style, and I think you're going to dig it. The band is called Streetwise, and the song is called Pittsburgh here in the Auto D Show. Check it out.
And that was Pittsburgh by Streetwise with Raymond Castronovo here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you in part by my good friends at Fervor Records and also by TheRecordingArtist.com, where I've been cutting a new record with a different band just about every week for the last couple years, all live online for you to watch. If you've missed any of those live recording sessions, don't worry, because you can still catch snippets on my reality-style TV show called The Recording Artist, which is available on Amazon Prime, also at TheRecordingArtist.com. And if you, like me, have a Roku TV account, then just download the free Roku TV channel called The Recording Artist. To learn more, go to TheRecordingArtist.com. And uh, without further ado, let me welcome to the show this evening's guest, Mr. Raymond Castronovo. Hey, Raymond, how are you doing tonight? Good. Hi, Otto. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You're on the East Coast calling us from uh, Long Island. And uh, the weather's, I imagine, beautiful right now. Oh, yeah. This is the time of year. It's touch and go it could be cold it could be warm but we got a beautiful week coming up and the leaves are just starting to change perfect perfect well listen i have a couple quick questions for you let's start with talking about that song pittsburgh uh that was off of a record of yours i believe it was off of the road ahead um and it was a six song ep that you put out tell me who's playing on that record and a little bit about the band okay so on that record we have on drums linda mackley she's you know, a real professional musician on Long Island. Then we have on bass, Joe Martinez. So Joe Martinez, he toured the world with Chubby Checker, Irina Cara, and then our paths got lucky enough to cross a few years ago, and he's been involved. Then I have Paul Glazer. Paul Glazer is another guitarist with us. We have uh, Carl Obrig. He's playing sax, and I'm playing guitar, and I'm on vocal. It sounds like a great sound. I love the overall package you've put together on that record. It's a little strange to have a female drummer. Do you find that uh, people are impressed with that when you guys are playing out? Yeah, Linda, she's got some talent. She's been around for a while, and and our paths crossed in a lucky way, too, based on a referral, and then we you know, had a couple of sessions, and we've been together for a while as well, probably you know, a good year and a half, almost two years now. Okay. Well, you've kind of kicked your music career off again for a second time here around 2018, 2019, but you took a huge break. Um, as I know, you were born in Brooklyn originally, so let's go all the way back to the beginning and tell me how music crept into your life and how you got started. All right. So, you know, growing up at about 12 years old, I saw, um, you know, all these musicians going and I started getting a liking for the blues at then. And, you know, the B.B. Kings, the Albert Kings, the Freddie Kings, Muddy Waters, they were all influential at that time, mm-hmm. Light and Hopkins, and then all the blues kicked off in the U.K. And, you know, we had our little feel, and I kept, you know, playing along. Good friend of mine, Steve Proto, he's actually, he left Brooklyn, major keyboard player, and he's living in Barbados now, and he might be listening to us right now. I sent him the link. And, you know, and then we started, you know, playing together as a group and playing in high school. And then uh, we moved on and then Motown started kicking in and, you know, a couple other. uh, And then, you know, of course, the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton and those guys. And so we started playing in our own way. But we had more of a like a punk rock style at that time. And there was three of us. It was Ray, Tom and Mike. And we were known as the Ray Tomics. Okay, that's cool. So, right, so we would play all over Manhattan. We played Kenny Castaways, and we played at Gildersleeves and Tracks, and, you know, we just kept going back and forth. 
to Manhattan. And um, one thing led to another. This gentleman decided to introduce us to somebody that is kind of a scout for the record labels. And mm-hmm. a big opportunity came along for us. And who, who was that? So he represented Capitol Records. Okay. And then we went and we started to communicate. And then um, I got introduced to a record recording company in Manhattan. It was on 54th Street at the time. And it was the Hit Factory. Mm-hmm. And then as I go into Manhattan and I'm just some, you know, rock and roll kid. <laughs> and I walk into the Hit Factory, know, and that was one intimidating experience. I was going to say, can you imagine for a youngster to walk into the Hit Factory? Right, and I'm looking around, I'm seeing platinum and gold labels covering the lobby, and it was it was an intimidating experience. But So I went to the front desk, and I talked to the young lady, and I told her I was here, and then I went up to meet the owner, and his name was Eddie Germano. And Eddie Germano started the Hit Factory, and he used to be a lounge singer. He used to drive in a concrete truck, and he decided that, okay, he wanted to stay in the music business, so he created the Hit Factory. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, Otto, I had a pregnant wife. Young Italians in Brooklyn, they tend to do that. Listen, young man, I was a young Italian. Uh, I had, I was married, divorced after my first child, and I was 20 years old. <laughs> right, well. I, I get it. Right. So I kind of put the music on hold for a while. Wow. Yeah. I've been, you know, I always stayed involved. I always wrote music. I always played in places. I was always invited to go well, as a guest, you know. How about and, the rest of the band? How, how, did different you, things. how did you break the news to the rest of the band? I just had to let them know that, you know, this, I had a, I couldn't just start taking off and leaving, you know, my wife, my pregnant wife home when I have a kid. And it was, you know, that to me at that time was time to raise a family and figure out that path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, so, uh, let me ask you a question too, before you go farther down the line. But so were you, a, were you an only child or did you have some brothers and sisters? Nope. I had brothers and sisters. So I had, I have an older brother. I was going to say, an Italian family with one child back then would be impossible. Yep, there were four of us. Okay. My, my mother had three boys and a girl. Okay. Anybody else in music at the time when you were young? No. Nope. So you were the lone just, music character, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I got to give credit to the couple of, but the friend that I mentioned too that lives in Barbados, mm-hmm. a few doors down. I remember being a kid, about eight, nine years old. Stephen was about a year older than me. Mm-hmm. And he's playing this classical music on the piano, like La Donnie Mobile. And I would just sit in the chair and just listen to him. And his older brother was a musician, and he played in the Philharmonic. So he had, he had talent in his blood. Mm-hmm. So he was influential and helped guide my mind towards, you know, you find our liking. Mm-hmm. So now you you decide you're going to get out of music. You're going to deal with your wife and your fa- your new family. Um, you ended up in the construction business, but I don't know. I mean, I know you got out of it, but I don't know how you got into it. So how'd that get started? Yeah. So my father, you know, he my father came to this country from Sicily. Okay. And he brought a handful of Sicilian bricklayers with him. So that's how I grew up in the bricklaying and the concrete industry, because that's what he did with these guys. Mm-hmm. 
And these gentlemen, Otto, were artists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I lived in it and realized it because I was in it. And they were artists. They would refurbish churches in Brooklyn. And we refurbished all these buildings. And they would do such artwork. Mm -hmm. And so I carried on. And then at some point I said, I can't work like this the rest of my life. Yeah. That's hard labor. Kids today don't really get it unless they're really working hard in that construction industry. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I decided that I'm going to go try to get an education. So I say to people, yeah, I went to college. Yeah, I went for four months. <laughs> Raymond, our stories are so similar, man. I'm going to stop, I'm gonna stop you there. I'm going to stop you there just for a second just to tell you how similar this is. My father was the first born in the country. From northern, his family came from northern Italy, and he was in the tile and terrazzo business. And I, right. I worked schlepping terrazzo jobs and unloading boxcars of marble and cement all, you know, all day long in the summer. Oh, you know? my goodness. And so <laughs> I did the same thing. I watched a 35-year-old tile setter get up off the floor, and he couldn't stand up straight till he was all the way across the mall. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. It's going to kill me. Uh, and so I looked. I ended up in, uh, you know, in the office doing uh, bids and stuff. But uh, it's just hilarious that you say that because I wanted to go to school. I had a full ride scholarship at a university, and I, I went and got a zero point zero four grade point average because I never went to class. You know, it just like did not have anything to do with it. It's just crazy. Sorry, right. didn't mean to just take that over, but it's like I, it's just so similar. So go ahead now. You went to college. No, for four but, that, months. That, but that's great because you know that the similarities exist. So when yeah. I went from. I said, when I went to college, I said, you know, this, these students have taken two hours to learn something that I'm learning a lot quicker. So I yeah. said, I can't stay here. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go get an education from a successful construction company. I'm going to go work for them. And I know my grandfather, he always said, you got to stand out. It's, you got to stand out. Your handshake, the shot on your shoes, you, you got to stand out. The two ingredients, your desire to succeed and your self-motivation. If you have those two ingredients, there's a lot of things you can accomplish. So I ended up getting a job with a big municipal construction company. And within five or six years, the owner asked me, you know, I climbed the ladder from an assistant manager to a manager. And he said, but he he says, you want to uh, learn to run my company? I said, Roger, me? He says, yeah, it was a big company. Mm -hmm. And he indicated that I have to do one thing. And I said, what's that? He goes, so <laughs> growing up in Brooklyn your whole life, he says, I got to send you to a Dale Carnegie course. I said, why is that? <laughs> he says, you got to start learning manners because you're a little rough around the edges. So, <laughs> so I said, okay. So that carried on. I worked for him for about 13 years. And then Roger decided that, you know, he was an older fella. He was an old Irish Catholic auto and he had legitimately 14 children. Wow. Wow. And he decided to shut his business down. And at that point, I decided, all right, I'm going to give it a shot working for myself. And, you know, it takes time. You need money. So mm-hmm. we had to put a lot of time, investment, and save my money. And we're here today with a business I created for 27 years. And mm-hmm. we do some pretty big stuff in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something you can be really, really proud of. Yeah. Thank you. And so with that, I buy this building in Riverhead, and on the third floor, I see a ballroom. (laughs) So I bought my building. It was from a fraternity. It was called the Independent Order of Oddfellas, and I didn't know what they were. But this was a building that actually next year it'll be its 100th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And they, back in the 1600s, there were 
these grand noble marshals that had a feud, and people, most people heard of the Masons. Mm-hmm. And they broke away, and they created a fraternity called the Independent Order of Oddfellas. It's a great name. So the Oddfellas now, you know, they have, a th- right currently, there's a thousand lodges throughout the world, and they have a very big following. And the reason they were odd, because I did some research, I'm in their building, and they left all their stuff here. I have, a, <laughs> it's, it's incredible, the stuff that I have. They um, were odd because they had a lot of money. And they created nursing homes and hospitals and orphanages and houses, you know, for single women with kids. And that's why they were classified as being the Oddfellas. Huh. So they had this ballroom on the third floor. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the building and I told my daughter, I said, you know, we're not going to rent that. I want to keep that and I want to make it my rehearsal studio. I'm going to try to get as good as I was and better. And I want to start my music again about four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So That is so cool. Yep. So then I went upstairs. I grabbed a few musicians. You know, I come came in. A few came out. And, you know, when, when, you're, when you're living in that environment, these musicians, not only, you know, you want the quality and the playing, but you also have to have that same bond and the same type of music, and mm-hmm. you have to get along, because you're, you're married. You spend yeah. a lot of time with each other. Yeah, you do. Yeah, so we, uh, I went upstairs. I started writing. I started moving along. So now I said to my daughter, I said, all right, I'm going to start you know, reaching out again. So I reached out to a couple of record companies that welcomed me in and that I didn't like the way the agreements were because I don't need their money anymore. Mm-hmm. And I decided, to, you know what, I'm going to go through my own record company and start that and push myself through because I can, you know, I have a couple of people that were interested and there's this, you know, I'll talk about Beatrice later on. And I went and I said, I'm going to start reaching out to the Hit Factory. Maybe I could get back in there. Yeah. So I found out that um, the owner, Eddie Germano, had passed away. So I now try to reach out to his son, Troy Germano. Mm -hmm. And Troy, I I vaguely, vaguely remember so long ago. So I said, I write, so what I did was actually, so before Eddie passed away and I told him that I wasn't going to record there, he gave me these, this literature, he gave me his card on the back of it. He wrote, Raymond, you ever need me again? Just give me a call. Because he was... Streetwise, I was streetwise, and we hit it off. He was right. just, you know, a regular old uh, city guy. So I got it together, and I sent an email to the hit factory to Troy Germano, <coughs> and my daughter says, "Dad, do you see the clientele that he has going in and out of there? He's go- he's gonna hit delete as soon as he gets it." And I said, "Cassandra, that's okay, because at least I gave it a shot." I took the pictures of the pamphlets. I took, you know, with the, today I took a picture oh, of cool. the, the, the card that his father gave me. And then, lo and behold, I get an email back on Monday. After, I think I sent it out on Friday, and I get an email back on Monday. So Troy starts communicating. He goes, come on into, uh, why don't you come into the Hit Factory? I'd like to meet you. So I go into the Hit Factory, and I'm saying, maybe he wants to make sure that, you know, I really didn't go down the wrong road. He uh-huh. just wants to see who I am, what it's about. Sure. So I went and I uh, went to the hit factory. I went into his office. 
And we sat for a while, and we talked. And he says, you know, I told when you, I, you sent this stuff to me. I told my wife that this guy was really with my father. So fast forward, I ended up, you know, we started recording it. They had, what a, that's someplace, let me tell you. Yeah. It really is. He still has the platinum and gold albums on the wall. And I said, um, I'll start, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start recording. And from there forward, Troy has been always there for me. We created a friendship. We go out to dinners together, and we created that bond. And that's where we do all our recording. Well, it's it's kind of a cool story that's kind of come full circle that Troy gets to participate in because you represent a time uh, when his dad was in charge and running the thing, and and uh, you were coming up, and then you disappeared, and now you now you kind of bring that whole past back by reconnecting with him. I think that's probably as exciting for Troy as it is for you. Yeah, and we when we talk, and you know, we we go out to our dinners, and there's 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 so many people. In there, I mean, I remember a time where I was going in there and I had to get tested, you know, during the COVID days. Right. Every time I went in, because I'm in one studio and Keith Richards is in the other studio. Right. <clears throat> I'm in one studio and Joan Jett's in the other studio. These are the people that went in and out and Troy always made time for me. So <laughs> we're actually cool. in the middle of recording our fourth album right now and... uh we're about to, you know, go in and lay some more tracks down this weekend. And as I understand it, right in the middle of this project, your engineer decided to have a baby, or at least his wife. Yeah, Jason. So Jason's making time for us now. So he had his, he has his little beautiful baby boy. Congratulations, Congratulations Jason. Jason. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's that's exciting. So maybe he'll have to babysit once in a while during your sessions. He'll have a little baby in there with you. Never know. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. a lot of so that happening over the, the years. So, and then, you know, with the other part of us, too, is that we have a great PR company. I mean, this lady Beatrice, she's helping distribute all our stuff. And it's time for us, you know, we, we have, we're recording our fourth album, and now it's time to start hitting the road. Yeah, yeah. So are you currently making plans to actually go on tour? Yeah, so right now I'm in the middle of a couple of, you know, booking agents, tour managers right now. I'm uh -huh. negotiating a few things, but we're planning on getting on the road and traveling around. Cool. Well, that's going to be an exciting show to see. Now, when we visited uh, earlier in this year, I think you mentioned to me that you had a lot of fans in, uh, was it Brazil or South America someplace? Yeah, in Brazil. So Brazil is our number one following. Mm -hmm. We have the most amount of followers in Brazil and Belgium. And then, and then the U.S. is number two. But it's great to see that you know they're they're picking up on it. So we'll, one one thing that's really taken off funny is that so because of Joe Martinez and playing uh, with Chubby Checker throughout the world, mm -hmm. on our third album, we do our own version of the Twist. It's oh, like cool. a compilation, mm -hmm. and it goes right into the Twist again. Mm -hmm. And in Brazil. I get these little pictures that everybody in there is the, the, the twist is coming back again. So we're going to see what we can do with that one. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And, you know, people like to have a lot of fun. It's really about fun. And so uh, it's that's, about fun, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a fun one. You know, and something else that actually just came up, uh, you were uh, invited to or commissioned, I'm not sure which, you can let me know, to create a Christmas song uh, for some purpose this last week. And you had to rush something together. How's that going? Oh, that's going really good. So we just, we, I have uh, this past Sunday, I finished the music arrangements. I got all the lyrics down. 
now it's just about tightening it all up. So we're going to try to squeeze this in somewhere. And actually, I'm talking with, um, you know, me and Joe about how the possibility exists that I, I might make an attempt. I'm not sure to pull it off on Sunday when we go to the Hit Factory. Oh, wow. What's it, can I can I get you to leak the title of this Christmas song? Yeah. What's it going to be called? It, it's called Here Comes Christmas Day. Okay. I think it's a good idea to have a Christmas song, man. They come back every year. And the oldies are the oldies. It's nice to hear new songs. Yeah. And, you know, it, it has this little story about, you know, Santa Claus getting ready in the first verse. Second verse is the elves are all working. And then the third verse, we do some silly talking. We hear some nice background effects, things like that. It's really neat. And the last is, he, you know... It, he made his way down the chimney. The kids wake up. They rub their eyes, and they're having a great surprise. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Is it kind of a sing-along chorus? Everyone's going to be singing along when they Yeah, you could do that. Yep, That'll be good. Fun. That'll be fun. Well, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to give you a second, uh, take a break. I'm going to spin another one of your cuts, and then we'll come back and chat a little bit more. Um, All right. I was thinking of maybe playing 440. Is that cool? Yeah, why not? Tell, yeah. tell me a little bit about this song then before we play it. What was the, what's the All right, the so we were hanging around one day, and, you know, we had this, there was this little car show going on. And I saw about, there was a, a lot of women that loved fast cars. Yep. <laughs> and they like fast cars, and they like to drive fast. So that inspired me to go and write a song called 440, about ladies who like to drive fast cars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, then let's check this out. This is and this is from Streetwise. Um, with and are you the sole writer on on most, all of the tunes for the band? Yeah, I'm the sole writer of the lyrics. Okay. And I arrange all the music, but they all I also get you know bits and pieces from the bass player and things like that on i, I like to listen to their feelings because they it's a great input i get from them. sure because they got to give you their take and it's they know what they're doing it's not like you can yep. exclude it all right <clears throat> so raymond castronovo and uh, streetwise with a cut called 440 here on the auto d show check it out how many girls out there like to drive a fast car This girl, she likes to drive a Dodge Charger RT with a 440 engine. She likes to drive fast.
440 from Raymond Castronovo and Streetwise here on the Auto D Show. Another great track. Man, those records sound really, really good. So whatever you're doing, keep it up. Ah, thank you. Thank you. So now, uh, right now, that was, um, you've got another cut called Shadows in the Sky, which I think uh, I read was actually um, licensed to an independent film. Yeah, yep. There's a film right now, a producer called our PR company. And they said, do you have something a little modern that has a little 50s feel in it? So that's why, you know, the, out of the music, we have, like, okay, so we were asked one day, what's our genre? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> we have some blues. We have a little Motown. And that's in like, you know, a better place. We have some rock and roll. So I'm going to call it my own genre. I'm going to call it music stew. There you go. We have that little 50 sound with some sax. So this yeah. uh, producer calls up, you know, Beatrice and asks if she has some type of music that's kind of from now, but has this 50 sound. So they gave them our song, which we, you know, I guess we were in a, a little 
bag of a bunch of different musicians. And at the end of the day, they decide, actually, I got the, I got the copy of the check on my wall. I made a copy of it. <laughs> they decided to pick our song. The, the, the movie that's being produced now is called Samson, and it's in like a little diner scene, you know, so that's how they used it. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that was a good opportunity for us. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of times uh, when filmmakers are looking for music and they don't necessarily want the attention to go to it, so they don't want a hit song you know, but they want the feel of something you'd know. So you were, you were uniquely positioned because since you took that big break, I feel like you, when you picked up emotionally, you were where you left off. And so you still have the heart and essence of that style of music you loved and uh, you know, with this new modern take on it. Yeah, that's a good point, Otto. That's a good point. Everyone else who's in that bag that had to choose from were almost trying to, they were looking at a target going, let's make something that sounds old. They, they didn't have that same sense of uh, where, the, where the root of that was, was at. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it, but I feel like you, were, you took that break, and so you were uniquely positioned to start in that spot, you know? Yeah, that's a real good point. And so and here we are. I know. We're not stopping now. No, in fact, you released, uh, let me take a look here, in April 2020, you put out Crossing Bridges with 10 tunes, and then uh, two years later, in the spring of 22, you put out The Other Side with five more cuts, and then uh, in March of this year was The Road Ahead with six songs. So, I mean, that's uh, 21 tunes in the last two years, two and a half years, and you're in the middle of the studio tracking another record. So... Um, these songs, most people don't write 25, 30 songs in three years. I mean, a lot of artists don't. Did you have some of these tunes written before Crossing Bridges? Were you still playing guitar during that period once in a while? Or did you really just pick it all back up in 2018? No, picked it all back up in 2018. I had a little bit of flavors from back then, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to go. I had to create it with this Raymond, not that Raymond. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you get related to all the patterns and you get related to all the, you know, the, the music that, you know, we, we have our own chemistry, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of grabbed my chemistry and, you know, of course, and I grabbed some of the other musicians because we're, listen, it's not about me. It's about us as a team together and what sound we create. And mm -hmm. we went from there. Sounds great. Now, let me ask you, did you really put your guitar down constantly, or did you pick it up and play once in a while over the years? No, I played. I played once in a while. I always, you know, kept my hands in shape. I always had my guitar. It was, you know, it was, it was like a serenity for me. Things, world, challenges, obstacles, bringing mm -hmm. kids up. And I had my little music room. I'd go sit in there, and it was just a way of sitting for thoughts and being able to, you know, create and have that music in your life mm -hmm. cool um speaking of that you know today in these days you mentioned you have your music room it's very different than the music room you might have had all those years ago um with social media with home recording systems where they are i mean four track cassette decks back in the day now you know recording whole recording systems in your laptop um so do you do a lot of kind of pre-production at home or do you not do that no, we don't do that. We do all we do all our homework up on my third floor. We know that, you know, once we get into that studio, we want to be able to be productive because mm -hmm. the engineers get satisfaction. We all get satisfaction and it's, you know, it's a different environment once you're in that recording room. So we yeah. do all our homework upstairs. Yeah. 
And then, of course, tracking at some place like the Hit Factory. Uh, when you walk in, uh, still, it must just you must feel a certain responsibility to do well, you know, because it's like, look who's walked down those halls, you know. Oh yeah, it is. You, you get that. You get that. You know, of course, that pressure feeling, which is good. I mean, I and, think that gives you a buzz to go to try hard. You know. Yep, and you get that feeling in your stomach, and you have to turn that into positive energy and just go through it. And Jason, our engineer, actually, the last time we were in there about um, three weeks ago, when we put down the drum and bass tracks. Mm-hmm. He says, you broke another record. So we had six songs, drum and bass tracks finished. We started at about 10, and we were started to walk out of there by 3 o'clock. Perfect, because you guys were ready. Yeah. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, let's. When, what do you think the release date will be for the new record? Any idea yet? Yeah, so we are going to be probably finished like mid-November. So okay. Beatrice wants to start putting out some you know, a couple of little ideas of it mm-hmm. right before the holiday, but it's going to be a 2024 release. Okay. So she's probably targeting around January, maybe February-ish. You know, I've had a chance to speak with her a little bit, and you're in good hands there. I like her. She's a go-getter. So Yeah, she's a go-getter. Beatrice yeah. is a special lady. Yeah. So um, I look forward to that release. It's going to be fun to keep up on. And if people want to keep track of what's going on with you, is this is the simplest way to uh, go to your website, or which is streetwiseny.com, or uh, yeah, social media? Yeah, and we have our Instagram. It's streetwiseNYC. Okay, cool. And how about Instagram and social media? Do you, do you dig it, or is it kind of a pain? How do you feel about social media these days? So I'm going to be as straightforward as possible because... I'll let you do that. Yep. (laughs) As we started, it didn't exist. Right. I know. So right now in this position, so actually I was at dinner with Troy. There's this place that Troy's father had for a long time, and it's a well-known place up in the Bronx called Rayos. Okay. And we went out to dinner, and he had a gentleman, Tom... Penzanuno, I think he was, a big producer. So he started out, he's an older fella, started out with John Lennon. He had a lot of dealings with the Rolling Stones, real old time, and, and he was actually in the studio with Joan Jett. Okay. He says to me, he says, what you have to learn to do is become this social media guy, which in our history... We just did it because we were with this curtains open. We're there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I say it the way it is, Otto. I'm still learning how to be that social media guy because I do like being in the front. I'm a good communicator with people and right. I do like to have fun. So I'm learning on how to go and promote myself because one of his things he said is that I like your music. You have great music. It's time to perform. And it's time to get involved in your social media. And just has happened recently. So oh, cool. I'm starting to learn more about it. And Beatrice is teaching me about how to let the world know who you are. Yeah. It's pretty cool to hear old timers know that they've you've got to make that move if you want to be relevant. I mean, the game changes. And if you don't, you can't sit there and go, I like the way it used to be. I'm going to play by the old rules. It doesn't, that doesn't work. you got to play right. by the new rules. Just like you, you started your own record company because you realized, you know what, these days you, don't, you can go direct distribution so easily uh, without physical product in the world that you don't need the record company if you don't need their money because that's really all 
all you're getting from them if you're already producing your own stuff, you know? Yeah, and they and they put a lot of burden on you as far as responsibility and what you have to deliver. Yeah, yeah. And it becomes almost more work than enjoying your music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It turns into the, the work turns into the focus instead of the art. Oh, exactly, yep. Well, listen, anything else you'd like to share about what you've got going on and what you've been doing? I know you've done some charity work in the past. You played a, a large event for uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Raised a bunch of yeah, money. Yeah, so once we finished Crossing Bridges, um, I decided to put on a show, a first show, at the Suffolk Theater in Riverhead for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So why I'm so passionate about it is because my son was created, well, I mean, was asked to be a candidate for the Man of the Year and get involved in Leukemia and Lymphoma Society mm-hmm. because about know, 18 years ago, I developed a rare form of leukemia mm. myself. And it was so rare that I was going into a hospital and they told me that I had a 98% chance I wasn't walking out. Wow. Right. So I just went in there for 10 days and it was a rough 10 days. It wasn't like, okay, here you go. You're going to deal with your chemo. You're going to go years. We're going to try to fight this. They said, if we can't do this in 10 days, I had a bone marrow transplant possible if I needed that. But here I am at the eighth day. Everything was fine. They ended up, you know, I didn't need a bone marrow transplant. I got out on 10 days. They used me even to today as some kind of specimen because, you know, after that, every two months I had to get monitored, and every three months the next year for 10 years, wow. I had to be under their rule until they said you're free. Wow. What an incredible So we story. sold out the Suffolk Theater, and I raised over $45,000 for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. <laughs> and that's what I like to do. And we're planning now another fundraiser for people that are not as fortunate as we are, mm-hmm. that are struggling with food, they're struggling financially, and where there's an organization. And before I go and do fundraisers, I really study the organization to make sure that the money goes where it's supposed to be. Right, right. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, That makes me think uh, another question I wanted to ask you. This was 18 years ago, and then for 10 years you're being monitored. So uh, did that period have an impact in uh, your longing to get back into music? Is that when you thought, you know, at some point I'm going to? Uh, or not yeah well I had it in my mind you know my whole life that's why I listen I kept myself real physically in shape I always took care of myself mm-hmm. I always try to keep myself tuned with the music saying to myself you know I'm not going to give it another shot I'd love to do it and if the opportunity exists I have to be ready I have to yeah. be healthy I got to be physical and I have to be able to get on that road and do it again. Yeah. And it's common. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. You know, today I heard Ringo Starr was 83 and he's on tour and he's got a new record out and I'm thinking, whew, okay, I better stay in shape a little longer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's what, what, what a better place to be in, in your mid-80s than on tour, you know? I think that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and if I, you're in shape, I, you can't. Yep, and I get to pass this construction company on to the kids. Yeah, how about that? Are they have they been working with you over the years involved? Yeah, so I kind of got lucky because you know my daughter graduated a college called Quinnipiac, 
as an accountant mm-hmm. about 12 years ago and came to work for me for two years, 12 years ago. So she runs this company better than I could ever run it right. on my own. Then about six months ago, her brother came to work here and my you know, my oldest son, he's a construction litigation attorney. Okay. Who's got it better than her, right? Right. So he's now working here. So I have a, an accountant daughter and an attorney son that's here. So that gives me the chance to feel comfortable and just pass it on. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So they must love that they're not starting from scratch with a company. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it would have took me a lifetime to create. Yeah. That's pretty cool. The, <laughs> Excuse me. So what's next? Uh, I guess you're going to be recording this weekend, and then you've got the Christmas song to get out, and then you got the holidays before you guys release the new record, so you'll be able to catch your breath. Yeah. And, you know, the next thing i got to decide on is the um, our booking agent tour manager because, you know, that's, they're, they're a big player in how we're going to be able to go and move ourselves around. Right. And as you get started, are, are you planning on having a catalog of, of covers that the band plays where you, you play the whole evening yourself at a venue, or are you looking at doing your 45 to 90 minute set with a couple other groups? What's your, what's your design? No, so we, have, we do have a couple of covers that we actually recorded. So we have our own, you know, I guess that's why I say our genre. So I go from, we could go from 440 so I do I have our own song on our last album. It's called Love You Tomorrow by Carol King. And we do these things our way. Mm-hmm. You know, when we do a cover song, it's, it's kind of a remake. We like to not copy. You'll know it's that song, but we want to give it our flavor. Sure. And I noticed the female vocal on the tracks we played. Was that your drummer? No. So that's a young lady. Her name is Heather. And is Heather going to be able to go out with you guys, or is that going to be something you just, you'll just do without on the road? So, well, I'm going to leave that up to her, because Heather, you know, she's single and she has two young kids. So mm-hmm. I'll leave that up to her, but we have opportunities with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, it all sounds pretty exciting, and you know what? So we're kind of coming up on the end of our time here. Raymond, I am so excited that you have took the time to go into your office on the East Coast three hours ahead of me here and uh, sit down and have this chat. Thanks for your time. No, thank you, Otto. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time as well and giving us this opportunity. Yeah, and I love the music, man. I look forward to uh, hearing more and uh, watching the releases the first of the year. Uh, thank you, and I'll, I'll keep you posted on how we're moving along. All right, my friend. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Thank you, Otto. Good night to all. Good night. And you've been listening to The Otto D Show, where my guest has been Raymond Castronovo, and his band Streetwise has been featured. So we will see you next time. Take care and have a great night.